So thanks everyone for being here. Um, this week I want to talk about wise action. And wise action together with wise speech make up the basic, um, the five precepts that are part of the Theravadan tradition along with the fifth one, which is not in the Eightfold Path, is um, not intentional, not taking intoxicants which lead to heedlessness and being careful about what we consume um, so that we don't get knocked off our mindfulness. And so it's what wise action is are three things included in it. Um, not intentionally taking a life, not taking what's not freely offered, and being wise with our sexuality. And, you know, the Dhammapada talks about um, this kind of moving through the world as avoiding what's unskillful, doing what it's good, doing what's good, and purifying the mind. Which is great, but the Eightfold Path kind of gives us a, a way to do that, a way to avoid what's unskillful and do what's good. And purifying the mind just doesn't just means you know uh, burning off those old habits that may not be very helpful or skillful or beneficial. Those those ways of of viewing the world that are perhaps a little bit off um, are conditioned by things that may not be wise or helpful. Um, and I think, especially right now, not probably all, especially every day, but right now it seems there's so much going on. There's so much um, hatred. There's so much violence. There's so much vitriol that it's so important to be explicit in our commitment to wise action, you know, it, and it's to have something to commit to. Um, I, you know, that's what this path is when we, we commit, at least I know I commit and the invitation is to commit to this because fourth noble truth says it's a way out of, um, it's a way out of, uh, suffering. You know, we're, we're caught up in suffering, um, but there's a way out and that way is the eightfold path. And so I want to commit to this path as a way to, move away from suffering, move away from discomfort, dissatisfaction, my inability to be with the way things are, and move towards a, a path of wisdom and freedom, towards freedom and liberation. You know, it's a lane to stay in and, and a voice to use. I, I gave a talk, a, I think a couple of years ago, called Standing Firm in the Dharma, standing firm in the Dharma, and what it does, this, this, these teachings are a, a foundation to stand firm in. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it, this, this teaching, this, the, these factors of the path, enable us to be in the world that eases suffering and invites us to examine our own actions. How do we show up? Um, it's for personal, it's for our own freedom and for the liberation of all beings. That's why we do this. We don't just do it for ourselves. It's not this, this rugged individual and individualism. I got mine, you get yours. No, we're doing this together because we are in community with each other all the time, whether we like it or not, to a greater or lesser extent, we are in community with the rest of the world. So how do we show up without causing harm? To ourselves or to others, and in fact, um, the there's a there's a line from one of the suttas that says, 
the person practicing both for his own welfare and for the welfare of others is the foremost, the best, the preeminent, the supreme, and the finest. So basically, it's a good thing to do this. It's like you're the preeminent, supreme, and the finest. It's like it's what we want to do. So to get into the different um, particulars of this, the first one, and I'm going to read from Bhikkhu Bodhi, who has the book, The Noble Eightfold Path. It's, It's pretty much a classic. It's very thin, but it's pretty chock full. And he has translated the suttas and um, what what they write about this. And um, for this one, the, for not intentionally taking a life, herein someone avoids the taking of life and abstains from it without stick or sword, conscientious, full of sympathy. He is desirous of the welfare of all sentient beings. So even in this, this teaching... In the, in the Eightfold Path, it says not only do we not take a life, but we, wanna, we, are, we are desirous of the welfare of all beings. And, and the one line in here that struck me, I remember the first time I read it, says it just is like, oh yeah, it gets me out of me because so much of our harm, the harm we do is caused, and the harm in the world is driven by the defilements, the poisons, the greed. I want more. I want what I want when I want it. There's, and there's never enough. So greed just keeps feeding itself. So you want more and more and more. Or hatred. You know, hatred of what's different. Hatred of people who have more. You know, just aversion. Hatred out of fear. I was at, a, I was at an event last week. It's, I, I'm, I'm a... I'm on the board of a nonprofit, and we had our annual celebration of uh, people who've done wonderful things. And the, poi- the, the man who gave the keynote said that power without love is fear. And that was a, a, a line that really struck me. So people who do not have this, this, this love underpinning I'm going to trans I'm going to my understanding of it is this love this this desirous being desirous of the welfare for all moves into a place of fear because I might lose what I have. So there's this fear and we see it everywhere today. There's this 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 stoking of fear of they're going to come and take what you have. So you need to make sure that they don't do it, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's, it's the fires are, are being fanned so much these days. And so this principle, this first idea of not taking a life, it's grounded in the consideration that all beings love life and fear death, that all seek happiness and are averse to pain, all of them. So I am and everyone is. So it puts us all on an equal footing. And so if we're on an equal footing, the invitation is to treat others with dignity and respect and kindness and love. And in fact, it even talks about the two kinds of, um, uh, two, the, the two kinds of action that we're asked to uh, uh, not do, not killing, 
but also there's the abstinence that applies to um, the destruction of life. And the second one is deliberately harming or torturing another human being or another being without killing it. So it's not just killing because I'm sure most of us in this little Zoom mosaic do not make a habit of killing others, but we do cause harm. We do hurt others. We don't torture others intentionally when we think of torture like tying people up and waterboarding and those types of things. But how do we treat others? How do we cause harm? You know, do we? By our actions, by our thoughts, by our deeds. And again, this is this whole part of the Eightfold Path, Sila, invites us to investigate our actions in all these ways, in speech, in action. And I'll touch on a couple more as I move forward. But really recognizing how we don't cause harm and then the other side of this, which I love about Buddhist teachings, is that it's not just thou shalt not. There's the counterpart to it. And the counterpart to this, the disciple not only avoids destroying life, he dwells with a heart full of sympathy, desiring the welfare of all beings. We desire the welfare of all beings. We work towards the liberation of all. So important. It's so important. So we cultivate kindness. We cultivate compassion. And, the, and, and mindfulness runs throughout all of this. Mindfulness is another factor in the path. And mindfulness runs throughout all of this. We have to pay attention. We have to be aware when we sit and meditate. That's this real fine-tuning of mindfulness and awareness of what's happening, not what I think is happening, what, not what I want to happen, not what happened yesterday, but what's the experience in the moment? What emotion is present? What sensations are right here? And that's how we, um, that is so necessary for not causing harm. I think all, I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere, someone said, if, if you are truly mindful you will be incapable of causing harm because you will understand the impact it has. And you will not want to do that. All the harm I've caused, I think probably most of the harm I've caused is because I wasn't paying attention or I was caught in greed. Mostly greed for me, not so much aversion or anger or hatred, but I'm of the, I need to make sure I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And so grasping, 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 and, and doing all these things to take care of me. So mindfulness is incredibly important. But when we sit and we actually do the practice of meditation, it has a beneficial impact on the brain, which fires up the empathy, the compassion, both for ourselves and for our others. So these, these, these factors are tied in with each other in so many ways. It's really extraordinary. It's really important. So that's the first piece of wise action, not to kill and to cultivate compassion. The second one is to not take what's not freely given. And in this piece, the Buddha talks about stealing and robbery and fraudulence and deceitfulness. Yeah, he take, the person avoids... Uh, 
avoids taking what is not given and abstains from it. Yeah, whether wherever it is, whatever another person possesses, he does not take away with thievish, thievish intent. So obviously it's the cash register honesty. It's the not stealing money. It's the not uh, taking of goods. It's obviously not breaking into other people's houses or robbing them at gunpoint. Again, I don't think anyone in this Zoom room is probably doing that or does that regularly. But what else do we take that's not offered? Again, it's the invitation to examine how we move through the world. How are we in relationship with other people? Do we take time? You know, do we hold people hostage? You ever have, you ever be in a conversation with someone who is just talking, 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 and has absolutely no uh, awareness of you even being there? You know, um, I, I, I have some people in my life that um, I could talk to them for 20 minutes and then I'll be done, and they will not even have asked, how are you? Because it's like you, you flip a switch, and they, I, I like to say they have no off switch. That sucking of time, that sucking of another person's um, uh, uh, energy, awareness, you know, just taking from another. And so do you do that? Do I do that? You know, um, all those types of things, imposing on people, um, being in relationships long past the time they're, they should be over with because of, again, fear, um, not being willing to walk out and, and, and say goodbye or let go of something that's not working. So, and manipulation uh, to get your own way, that's kind of uh, uh, a bit of uh, fraudulence. It, it, it talks about... Um, fraudulence and deceitfulness, cheating. It says false weights and measures, you know, by uh, cheating that. And there's so much of that going on in this world today, you know, predatory lending, that type of thing that causes tremendous stuff. Not really being quite truthful in, in how we say, again, wise speech overlaps into this as well a little bit, but how do you move through the world? And again, the counterpoint, um, and, and, but before I get there, the, this is driven again by greed of wanting what we want when we want it and being oblivious. So there's a little bit, a bit of delusion in here too. There's del oblivious to other people, perhaps oblivious to other people and their needs because we're so caught up in making sure what we have what we want. So we're taking, taking, taking. Um, the positive counterpoint to that is honesty, is being, being honest, A, not stealing, but being honest in how we show up with others. It's also generosity. Generosity is the antidote to clinging, and to cling is to suffer. So to practice letting go generosity of time. Do you have a friend who has, who wants to talk? Can you talk to them for a little bit? Listen, giving the gift of listening. That's an act of generosity, which, which is, doesn't often happen these days. 
Um, taking somebody to the airport, that's a gift of time. That's an act of generosity. So these teachings, what I think is most beautiful about them, it's not a list of here's what you have to do. It's finding how they make sense in your life. How does this play out in my life? How does being um, not taking what's not freely offered play out in my life? And, and, and this, this was driven home to me a number of years ago. I was on a retreat at Spirit Rock, and my job was to um, the teachers. There's a yurt, and the teachers would meet there and have their meals there and talk, and so there was always little snacks down there for them, and my job was to kind of to bring the dishes up to the kitchen and, and make sure their, their snacks were um, uh, full and things like that. And one day the cook, it was I think it was around Halloween, and the cook had a bag of candy, you know, those bags of candy that you see around Halloween. And, and she said, take this down to the yurt for the teachers. And so it was a bag of the little Snickers, or the little Crackle and Hershey's. And, and I'm like, score! Because I could just put my hand in there and put half of it in my pocket if I wanted to. And then it occurred to me, it's like, oh, this wasn't offered to me. Nobody would know. See, that's the thing. We can rationalize anything. But if we're committed to this way of life, it's like, oh, actually, this was not offered to me. And I, I can let go of it in this moment. I'm grateful I was on retreat, so that stuff was up, and there was an awareness there, so I just brought the candy down, and I left it on their, on their counter and went about my business. And but that's it's that type of thing. How does this show up? It's a, that was just like a little mini thing. But again, it's we want to be vigilant. We don't want to fall into that rationalization. Well, this is okay. This this is on the scale of things. This is like meh. So just just see for yourself how this plays out. It's as, as with all of these things, find, as the Buddha said, find your own way with this. What makes sense for you? What takes you away from suffering and towards liberation? And what works for the benefit, not just for you, but for all beings? And now moving into the third, excuse me, the third one is to abstain from sexual misconduct. And I like to say being wise with our sexuality because this is a place that can cause so much harm. And again, I'm sure everyone in this mosaic has had some kind of, um, has been impacted by some kind of uh, relationship that was unwise or unskillful or caused harm. I, I, have, I can say yes to both of those um, because I was not aware, because I was ignorant, because I was driven by fear. So much of the time, so much of my life, fear was the, was the engine that drove me. But I was not aware of it, totally unaware of it, until I really got into this practice and was able to sit and, and kind of, as it says, purify the mind, you know, dis, disentangle from those, those um, uh, wrong points of view, that deep conditioning, that 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 impacts all of us. We all have so much in, in conditioning. And I also want to say that the way this is written 
it's very patriarchal because it's written from the, the male point of view. It's all about how the male interacts with female. That's kind of how it's written. But really the important part is to have this as part of the conversation because it does cause so much harm. And things, you know, things evolve over time and uh, realities evolve over time, hopefully. And so we now know that, you know, it's not just about a man and his wives and things, but it's like making sure that the most vulnerable are protected and that we're not causing harm or breaking commitments. Thich Nhat Hanh, actually, who has written beautifully about all the precepts and expanded them, wrote about this one, and I like it what he says, what he said. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I vow to cultivate responsibility and learn ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, family, and society. To preserve the happiness of myself and others, I am determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to prevent couples and families from being broken by sexual misconduct. So it's not saying who's appropriate to be with. There's no raw rules about this or about that, but it's about protecting people from harm, which is beautiful. Again, it's, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the welfare of all. Um, and it has to be done because we see the harm that's being caused every single day, every single day, you know. Um, you know, and we see, I'm sure in our own lifetimes, we've seen the shift in what's okay and what's not okay. What used to be just, ugh, you know, that's just who they are or, you know, blaming, blaming uh, uh, abuse on the woman or the, the person who received the abuse. Well, you obviously were asking for it. Still makes my back crawl when I hear those things. But, you know, it's, it's very real and it's very real in a lot of parts of, of the world right now. If you look at, the, look at what's happening in Iran, um, because that's not about religion. It's about, a lot of this is about power. So, um, but using sex as power and to really pay attention to how we move through the world and that we're not causing harm. It's incredibly, it's incredibly important. And, can, and because it can cause, I think because it can cause so much suffering, that's why the Buddha lifted this up because it's not talked about in so many areas. It's not talked about and to uh, normalize the conversations about the impact of behaviors. Um, yeah, what is, oh, um, Bhikkhu Bodhi's talked about the essential purpose of this um, piece is to, um, oh, the essential purpose is to prevent sexual relations which are hurtful to others. Really, really quite simple, and so really, how we have to ask about when we're when we're in relation with another person: is this hurtful to others? Is it hurtful to us? Is this causing harm in any way, shape, or form? Really, that's the bottom line. So important. Um, 
Yeah. Um, and all of these, all of these factors of the Eightfold Path, whether they're, they're, they're um, put into this, this format or in the precepts, um, it's really, and I like to think about the precepts is a way to make it safe for others to be around me. If I commit to living this way, then people should feel safe to be around me because I am mindful of my actions. I am committed to living in a way that doesn't cause harm for myself or others. I'm committed to living in a way that's kind and compassionate. Um, so that's, that's kind of what um, this is. And um, there's a, there was a question, and I'm happy to answer that, that said, is, can I, can I um, explain the difference between the Eightfold Path and the precepts? And um, the Eightfold Path is this teaching of, of this is how you move through the world. Um, but the precepts are more the ethical behavior piece of it. So the Eightfold Path includes white, right, wise views, understanding the Four Noble Truths, understanding the uh, characteristics of existence, of impermanence and non-self and, and dukkha, and, and wise intention of, of living in a way that um, is, practices renunciation of those things that cause suffering and cultivating friendliness and loving kindness and compassion towards those we meet. And then... The last piece of, of the Eightfold Path is about wise effort and mindfulness and, and concentration or collectedness. So it's the, the wisdom piece of it and the, and the concentration, well, excuse me, the wisdom piece is the first part in the um, samadhi or collectedness of mind. So, but the ethical behavior is what formed the precepts. So the precepts are not to intentionally take a life, not to cause harm with our speech, not to take what's not offered, not to harm with our sexuality or our sexual misconduct, and um, not to take things which lead to heedlessness. There are more in the Zen tradition. In Theravada, there's the five um, that are for lay people. There are more for monastics. They have a lot more. Um, but it's it's how to live in the world without causing harm. It's more of a moving through the world type of a uh, uh, invitation. So if that makes sense, it's, and people practice, people like take the precepts every day. They say, I vow not to cause harm by taking a life or whatever. So that's kind of repeated on a regular basis. So I hope that explains the difference. Um, but as you can see, so many of the Buddhist teachings overlap and are taught in different ways in different places, depending on who he was talking to because different people hear things in different ways. And so these teachings are reiterated all kinds of ways throughout the suttas. Um, so we hear it again and again and again and again. And then I, I taught this last night um, on my Friday afternoon class yesterday afternoon. And at the end, somebody asked how we avoid self-righteousness when we, if we, if we live this way, which I thought was really, um, a, a sweet question, and because I can imagine if Buddhists were prone to proselytizing, 
we could become really unbearable with these, you know, you know, that's not why speech. In fact, we kind of tend to, I know I, with my friends who are practitioners, we joke with each other, you know, you're, you're being a bad Buddhist. That's not very, you're not being a good Buddhist, those types of things with each other. But um, we don't proselytize in, traditionally. Buddhists do not. And it's not about pounding people over the head, but I think it's more about how do I make these teachings how I move through the world. At least for me, that's what it is. It's This has given me a foundation. It's given me a path, a lane. It's given me a voice. This is what I have committed to. I believe in the value. I believe that this leads to freedom for all beings or can. And I am willing for me to live in this way. I'm not saying anybody else has to, but I am choosing to live this way. And I think a humility comes from that through doing this practice, through the thinking of others as well as ourselves, there's a humility that arises through making compassion an important part of how we, how we live kind of takes away that self-righteous tendency. Not saying that people don't get self-righteous, but I think that it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't uh, necessarily lead to that. Every individual is different, obviously, but it doesn't, it's not, it's not the direction it goes in. So, and mindfulness, you know, helps again to underlay that, oh, ego, hello. And it's like, oh, maybe I can let that go. So it's a continual vigilance. It's a continual paying attention. Mindfulness is so important to all of this. Because if we're not paying attention, that's why there's the fifth precept, not to take things that lead, not to ingest anything that leads to heedlessness, because that's the anti-mindfulness. So, you know, it's the anti, um, again, the, the precept says, and this is not about the precepts, but the precept says um, drugs and alcohol, but Thich Nhat Hanh expanded and said, watch what you, be careful of what you watch. What do you ingest? What do you eat? You know, what do you listen to? And these days, it's extremely important to pay attention to that because it's so easy to be just kind of knocked off kilter. So anyway, those are my thoughts on um, wise action, my friends. And Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.